Kawais. Oh. Yeah. That's a round of affirmations right there. <laughs> all right. Solid. We all good? We solid? We loving life? Yeah, cool. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Steve, for speaking on behalf of the church that you shepherd over. God bless you. <laughs> All right. Uh, just a quick recap. What have we been talking about for the last month? Grace. Abiding. Who said abiding? You did. Okay, yeah, that's right. We talked to... Uh, so the first week that we were talking about grace, this is the fourth week now. The first week, we, the pastors had like a little uh, tag team. We were running up and high-fiving each other and then taking over and then preaching for like 10 minutes. And that was a bit of fun and we'd never really done that before. And then, uh, and then the next week, Pastor Steve was up and he was talking about abiding in Christ. And he mostly drew from uh, John chapter 15, uh, where it talks about, uh, the I am the vine, you are the branches, you know, Jesus talking. And uh, my father is the vine dresser. And he who abides in me will bear much fruit. So we can't bear fruit apart from with God. And, uh, and then the next week, Pastor Micah talked about discipline. Who loves discipline? Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, that's right. I was expecting like all the dads to put their hand up or something like that. I love discipline. It's the best. It's how I show love. <laughs> oh, God bless you. And... Uh, yeah, so that was, that was really, really good. I mean, if grace is grace, we're, we're going to be expected to change something within us, aren't we? Something is expected to, there's this journey that we go on, and it's, it's about discipline. We learn that there is a right way to live and a wrong way to live. There is God's way, and there is any other way, basically. And it's often discipline that brings us out of us. So we find that grace has this process, and it was really cool that we were able to sort of follow those themes with the, with the messages in the last couple of weeks. So we start in the position of grace uh, and God begins to discipline us and, and we begin this journey like as any child would with their parents. You know, we know what that's like. And, uh, and then it's supposed to lead us to a place. What is the purpose of all of this? What does grace lead to? Okay, is this on hallelujah or right? Yeah, where grace leads okay now you did see okay the next um yeah all right no worries let's turn to romans chapter five and i've only really got the first couple of oh no do i have them all up there i've just got like they're all there oh wow that doesn't take up much room at all all right let's turn to romans chapter five if you got your bibles turn there because you should read your own bible it's good okay first of all before we start what is grace? Let's just get all on the same page. What is grace? Can someone tell me? <laughs> Thank you, Mickey D. Okay, yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, it basically is. So I'm just going to say it in more Christianese words than you said it, but you basically said it. So what is grace? It is the completed work of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection playing out inside you, in your life, to make you like God. That's what grace is. It's God's power at work in you. There you go. Transformative power. All right. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, 
Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Everyone say amen. <laughs> Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're here with us now. We thank you that your love is poured out through the Holy Spirit. You're with us all here in this room. You live inside us. You speak to us every single day. And your grace is always available. Teach us what it means to walk in your grace. Lead us in the right direction. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. All right. Romans chapter 5. All right. The first point I really want to talk about is, I mean, Steve kind of talked about it in the first week, abiding in Christ. We are positioned in grace. That's where we are. So there's a few key words in here that I want to look at. Number one is we have been justified. Everyone say justified. Hallelujah. We are justified by faith. That's our faith, but I mean faith comes from... Anyway, it doesn't matter. All right. We've been justified by faith. And because we've been justified, we now have peace with God. That's like just right there. Does that, has anyone ever felt like they're not at peace with God? Like, you know, maybe after they've done something wrong or something like that. No, no. You have peace with God if you are in Christ. If you've been justified, if you've given your life to Jesus, you have peace with God. Okay. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace. Everyone say grace. In which we stand. I think one of the easiest things in my Christian walk is to think, for some reason or whatever, maybe I forget, is that I'm no longer standing in grace. Like I forget about it or, um, you know, sometimes I do something really wrong and then I think, oh no, what have I done? But instead of allowing conviction to lead me back to the heart of God, I'll condemn myself and feel really bad about myself and I'll try and stay away from God because I'll think God's angry with me. Sometimes we just forget we stand in grace. But because we stand there all the time, we always have access to it. It doesn't matter whether we get things right or whether we get things wrong. We're always standing in grace because we've been justified with God and therefore we always have peace with Him. Make a sense? Beautiful. Okay. And then this last bit. This is really important. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What's the glory of God that the Apostle Paul's talking about right here? We're going to turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 for a second. Well, you don't have to turn there. I can turn there. But you can turn there if you want. I got told uh, after the first service that, uh, I mean, I asked John Webb for advice. Is there anything I can work on? And he said, Maybe just go to scriptures slower so I can catch up. <laughs> you don't need to clap. <laughs> so uh, 
I usually have a sheet where I have all the scriptures there, and so I can just go to it straight away. But uh, I'll be nice, and if you're going to turn there, I have to turn there too. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This glory that Paul's talking about is Christ in you, the God of the universe in you. He's there because the Holy Spirit is in you. So because we already have Christ, right, we have everything we need. We could not possibly want for more. We've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We've, I mean, you look at every promise in Scripture. We've already got it. it. It belongs to us in Christ. We cannot possibly want for more. God has already given us more than we can ask or imagine. But the word hope in that passage implies that we're also looking forward to something. I mean, when you've already been given everything, what can you possibly look forward to? So Christ, I'm going to use Mickey D's words, is accomplishing a transformative work inside us. And what kind of work he does in us will be revealed when it's time for us to take off this body that succumbs to death and we get to put on a new body that lives forever with God in heaven. So Romans chapter 8, so you can just literally turn the page over a few pages. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through to 25. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through to 25, John Webb. <laughs> okay. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Talking about that new body that we take on. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Okay. One day, all of the hardship that we're facing right now will be behind us. That's good. But how we live and endure right now matters for when we step into the completion of this work of sanctification. Very Christianese term. So sanctification means mind renewal. I'm being changed every single day into the image of God. And one day when I pass away and I stand before God, that kind of work that I submit to is going to be revealed. I can't hide anything from God. Something I've figured out over the last six months is I can't, uh, I can't shortchange or I can't take any shortcuts to spiritual maturity. It just doesn't work. I can't get away with a little bit of sin and think that I don't need to talk about it or I don't need to get away with it. That's what I've realized. I, I just can't get away with anything. You know, it's um, every little bit counts. 
And I think it's important that when we're uh, uh, approaching all of our circumstances that we're about to talk about, it really comes down to the way we think because our thoughts become actions. All right, let's get into that. Uh, point number two, discipline. Our favorite topic. <laughs> so the first two verses really talked about our position in Christ. Okay, now, now this is uh, beginning this, well, how do I say it? The first two are our position in Christ. The next two after that is what comes as a result of our position. When you stand in the right spot, you're able to move in the right direction. So verses 3 and 4 is talking about our walk with God. Okay, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Okay, now I have a question. Does suffering in itself make you mature? Who thinks it makes you mature? Who thinks it doesn't make you mature? Okay. The amount of things, I'm not going to say the amount of things I've been through. The amount of things I've put myself through, if suffering made me mature, like, I would be pretty smart. I'd be very wise by now. I'll tell you what, I don't always learn when things go wrong. So why do we rejoice in our sufferings? Is it because we're going through something that's hard? No. I don't enjoy pain. Who here enjoys pain? No. Except I love eating lots of chili because I pretend I'm tough. That's about the only pain that I enjoy. We don't, but we don't rejoice when, when we get hurt with something, do we? I mean, we're not... Christians aren't sadistic. Okay, we rejoice because of what is taking place inside us in the midst of our sufferings. We rejoice in what God is doing. But just because we're going through a suffering doesn't necessarily mean that God is doing something amazing inside us. We have to give God permission. That means we have to submit to God in the midst of our sufferings. See, the good thing about sufferings is that they present us with an opportunity to either to, to make a choice. We can either choose to grow or mature, or we can choose to entrench ourselves in uh, bitterness or, or the woe is me attitude. See, when nothing wrong is happening, it's, I mean, it's very easy to get comfortable, isn't it? But when sufferings come upon us in whatever way, shape or form, it affords us an opportunity to say, okay, God, I really need to trust in you right now. I really need to know that you're there right now. I really need you to lead me through this and change my heart so that I see this differently and, and so that I'm focusing on you. When sufferings come, you don't get to choose some third party. You're going to choose one or the other. You're either going to submit to God or you're going to submit to and be defeated by your sufferings. Yeah? Okay. So that's why we rejoice because we submit to God and then he begins humbling us and changing us to be more like him. Okay. So having the grace mindset from the first two verses that we talked about, that allows me to submit to God instead. And a good indication of whether I'm submitting to God just in my regular life. You know, when nothing's going wrong, 
I mean, because really, it's, it's quite often when nothing goes wrong, but it can be so easy to forget this relationship that we have with God and, and that I'm standing in grace all the time and that I'm receiving from God every single day. So when I go through something that's really hard and I'm saying, woe is me, and why is this happening? It's probably because I've forgotten to rejoice in the hope, in the glory of God in the first place when nothing is going wrong, really. So suffering doesn't make us bitter. It, it just reveals what's going on in our heart at the time. But it's good because we can use it in a productive way. We can turn to God in the midst of it. All right. And by the way, this is talking about my sufferings. If someone close to you is going through something really difficult and you know they're suffering, does that mean you need to rejoice? No, that, that'd be really weird. I don't think they take that very well. You know, if, if someone that you love, someone that you care about is going through something really hard, you don't need to rejoice for what God is doing in you. Uh, the Bible says to mourn with those who mourn or, or to empathize with people that are going through things. It means to understand where they're at. It, it doesn't mean you jump for joy. You know, but I mean, what you can do is, is pray for them that God would do an amazing work in them, that they would be changed by their sufferings and, and I guess you lend support in whatever way you want. So th in a sense, this is a bit of a circumstantial uh, scripture. This is your sufferings. This is not somebody else's that's close to you. Okay. Now, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 10 in talking about this. And while we're turning there, I want us to think of another scripture. I want us to have it in our head. It's Galatians 2.20. Most of you are not. Some of you won't. That's okay. What it says is, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Really, just I want you to remember that bit. It's no longer I who live. Christ who lives in me. So with that in mind, let's read this scripture. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 10. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. What made Jesus so perfect? I mean, first of all, he was born without sin. That's, that's pretty cool. That's an indicator right there. But he chose to live this life a particular way. He didn't do nothing with his life. Everything he did was in submission to God the Father. Everything he did was in obedience as a son. So if I'm going to be like Jesus, then everything I do has to be in obedience to God. Everything I say, everything I do... But I can't really do that by myself, can I? Because sometimes we just want to rebel. But to be Christ-like, 
We have to obey the Father. But the good news is, if Jesus lives inside us, he teaches us to do that. And so we become Christ-like in our obedience, and because of that we become Christ-like in our thinking and in our character, and we become Christ-like in our understanding and in, in the way we look at things. And we begin to see ourselves from God's eyes. And when we see ourselves from God's eyes, we see that we're really incredibly valuable. Let's go to a couple of chapters over, Hebrews chapter 12. Okay. Chapter 12, verses 9 through to 11. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Amen. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. That's pretty cool. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. We know that. Rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Righteousness has a way of living. Okay. So, when we're obedient to God, God changes us. We begin to think like God as a result. We've been given the mind of Christ. That's another promise in Scripture. Okay. When we do that, we see the amazing work that Jesus did on the cross. And that One sec. I lost myself. Sorry. Okay. All right. So when we see the cross, we're able to see the work that Jesus is doing inside us. And that's something to look forward to because it's a, it's a glorious work and uh, we get to see it when we stand before God. And it's actually quite an exciting thing. I'm going to go to the, the last point here, and uh, it's not even in English. It says agape. Everyone say agape. It means love. I didn't want to use the word love because in the English language, we just say love for everything. I love, I love hobbies. You know, I love food. I love pasta. Uh, I can love lots of things. I can love people. Uh, but I can love, you know, my dog. I can love going for a walk. You know, or someone might say something really cool and I'll say, I love it, I love it, that's really, really good. I mean, we use that word all the time. But uh, the word agape is a very specific kind of love. See, this is a Greek word. And in the Greek, there were four words for love and they all meant slightly different things. So agape means a steadfast, sacrificial zeal for the good of another. So when we read this scripture... This very last verse, hope does not put us to shame because God's agape has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So it's a very specific kind of love. It is God's uh, benevolence towards us. It's not about what God gets out of it. His concern is for us. And I find that whenever I read about grace... You know, so like Romans 5, right? It's sort of one of my go-to chapters in my Christian walk. 
I've got a couple of other chapters too. You know, Romans 8 is one of those and, and 2 Peter chapter 1. You know, but I only just realized this week that they all sort of say similar things. They all start off with a position of grace and then they move through this wonderful journey of discipline. But then they all finish at the same point and the same point is love. It's really simple. Grace always leads to love. If grace is a road, then love is the destination. It's as simple as that. And if I don't have love, then, then all the Bible knowledge in the world is, is not really worth very much if I'm not transformed by the love of God in the middle of it. All right. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 4, verses 14 to 17. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God and God in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now every time this word love was written, it said agape, God's steadfast, sacrificial, benevolent love towards us. So if you want to become like God, it says right there we have confidence because we become like God. You want to become like God, become love. That is all. It's very simple. Become love. So this kind of love has nothing to express to people that they are so valuable that Jesus died for them. If Jesus died for you and he lives inside you, then that expression of perfect love that was displayed through the cross is naturally going to come out of you and other people are going to see it. Other people are going to recognize that it's different from their love. What's the difference between God's love and the world's love? Who can tell me? What's the world's love like? Yeah, it's, it's for now. It's very temporary, isn't it? That's right. God's love is eternal. <laughs> okay. Wow, that sent me for six, actually. Thanks, dude. <laughs> uh, the world's love is, is temporary. It's, it's what can I get out of it now? Like, how's this going to make me feel? Uh, God's love, yeah, the world's love is selfish. God's love is selfless. It's, it's, it's other-centered. It's, it's, it's not about me, you know. Um, I, can, I can generally maintain a pretty calm face when someone's talking to me, right? Like, I, I can have a poker face. I can't right now. But, like, if I'm talking to you one-on-one, -on -one, I can have a poker face. I know how to do it. However, does that mean my heart is invested in you? Just because my face says I am doesn't necessarily mean my heart is. It needs to be. If I'm going to display agape love, I need to be invested in you, even if you're totally wasting my time. It doesn't matter. I love you. You're valuable. Jesus died for you. It's like that simple. <laughs> I, I used to think I was a, like, I, I had developed, you know, a very selfless character, you know, uh, over many years, my sufferings that I would rejoice in and, and then I got married. 
Oh, what rubbish. Wow, I really found a lot about myself then, didn't I? Wow, did I find out how stupid that was that, that I thought that, oh yeah, I've, I'm actually, I've got it all together, don't I? <laughs> oh gosh. And you know, like my wife, she, she'll say sometimes, you know, why do you love me? She'll say that. And I used to try and come up with reasons. Like, I'm, I'm not one of those romantic on the spot, you know, kind of thinkers. Like, I used to try and come up with reasons, you know, of her godly character or her flair or this or that. But I don't say any of that anymore. Do you know what I say when she says, why do you love me? I just say, because you're valuable. That, that's all I say now. You know, because I, I've come to realize, that, um, you know, like, who here has watched a, a romantic movie, right? Oh, my God. Uh, most of you are lying because you didn't put your hands up. <laughs> All right. I've got to be honest. Sometimes I'll even watch them for fun because uh, sometimes it's nice. But anyway, ooh, did I just, that's recording. Whoops. Anyway. Um, <laughs> they say such dumb things in movies, don't they? Why do you love me? You complete me. Oh my goodness, shut up. <laughs> like seriously, that sounds so nice and romantic. It's selfish love. You make me feel good. What a load of rubbish. That doesn't mean I love you. That just means I love what you can bring me. You become a vehicle for my gratification. That's not God's love. God's love has nothing to do with my gratification or how I feel. It's all about you. All of it. If the world recognizes that I'm a Christian because I go to church instead of the love that I show them, I've failed. Really. And I'm not letting the grace of God work in my life. If I just have a poker face when I'm talking to you, but my heart is far from you, uh, I'm refusing God's grace in that moment. Sometimes I do it, right? Sometimes my heart will not be invested in you and I'll think, oh, I really need to. It's not that I'm thinking, oh, you're a waste of time. It's like, oh, I need to go and do this or I'm in a rush or something. But that's when I need to, like in my thoughts, this is what I tend to do. I go, no, no, thank you, Jesus, that you love this person and that they're valuable and that you died for them. And then my emotions are for that person and I no longer feel like they're wasting my time and I, I get to be invested. And who knows, I might be late to something, who cares? I don't think when I go and stand before God one day, he's going to say, oh, Jamie, man, you really ran late for that meeting or you're supposed to get that in on time, but you're just too busy loving that person. That was dumb, wasn't it? Like, is he going to say that? Like, where's my priority at? What's my love like? So this is what grace allows us to do. It always leads us back to the heart of God. It always leads us back to love. Okay, John 13, 35. Oh gosh, I've got to turn there, don't I? <laughs> John 13, 35. This is Jesus' last night on earth. He says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. My love has to look different to the world's temporary, selfless love. Really, it's the love they want. And when they see it in me, they're going to know that I'm a disciple of Jesus. 
And that's the most powerful evangelism in the world. How I love is powerful evangelism. That opens up all the doors. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, I think to be able to show this kind of agape love, this sacrificial devotion, this benevolence, it doesn't matter what I get out of it, it's, I, I just want to give to you. I think it's the hardest love to give to just our immediate family. I do. You know, I, I said in, in the Greek there's, there's four words for love. There's agape, there's eros, there's philia, and there's storge that you never ever hear about. Um, agape is sacrificial love. Eros is romantic love. Uh, philio is friendship love. And storge is family love. You know, the, the love that parents have with children and siblings have. And, you know, all, all that kind of stuff and relatives. And, and, uh, and, you know, that is a kind of love you can develop here in the church as well or in your workplace if it's a really healthy environment. But storage is, I, I think, generally the dominant love in our family. Maybe not with the parents towards the children. I mean, there's plenty of agape, sacrificial love happening there. But it can be so hard to love your family apart from that family love. Because it's like, oh, my, my sibling loves me, but they're treating me like this. They should know better. You know, and like, you know, when they say something to you that they shouldn't say, and then you just want to react back, and oh, you know, you, you do that with them, and, you know, it's like, but that's not agape love. You know, but we often put expectations on each other because, well, we love each other, so, yeah, I mean, you don't have the choice, you have to love me, so I'm going to treat you like however I want. I mean, that's, that's, that's not good. So I think if we learn to love our family members properly with, with this kind of love and, and not react when something goes wrong and, and just respond with, with the grace of God, like if you can learn to love your family like that, you can learn, you can learn to love anybody. It doesn't matter how difficult they are. It doesn't matter that, that one person in the workplace that just seems to really suck. Like you can love that person so much if you can love your family right. So let's let God transform us and, and our love for our, our families in particular because that's where it all seems to flow from. Okay. So our love starts in the small things, yeah? It starts with our thoughts. It starts in those little moments where a person may not even think anything wrong is happening in you, but that's the perfect time to submit to God's grace and, and go down that road of love. Okay. Can we close our eyes I'm going to read a scripture over you. I want to declare it over your life. This is the apostle, one of the Apostle Paul's prayers in Ephesians. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I declare this over every person's life right now. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant us to be strengthened with power through your Spirit in our inner beings, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height 
and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Okay. Yeah, just keep your eyes closed. I'm going I'm to talk a little bit more and then we'll pray and close off. The purest expression of love that was ever displayed in history was God himself, Jesus, going to the cross. What that means is he wanted to deal with a very huge problem. The fact that we were born into sin and therefore by default were made enemies of God. See, God can't be close to sin. But like any good father, he wanted to be close to us. So Jesus paid for sin with his blood. And he suffered and he went down into the grave. What that did was set humanity free from the the chains of sin. He rose again after a few days and he went into heaven. Then the Holy Spirit was sent out to come and dwell in us. That's an amazing gift. That's called salvation. And if you're here in this church or you're watching online, may I invite you to give your life to Jesus and learn to follow him that you could be brought back into the family of God and that he would change you every day to be like him. We'll keep our heads bowed. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask. Uh, I'm going to ask you if you want to do that, and I want you to repeat these words after me. But yeah, so just repeat after me. Thank you, Jesus. I recognise that you died on the cross for me. That you love me. And that you set me free from sin. I receive your forgiveness right now. I thank you that you've reconciled me. And that you've now made me your child. Live inside me. And help me to follow you every day. Show me what your love is like. And help me to turn away from anything in my life that you're not happy with. And help me to live your way. In 
Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that, then come and chat to me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you. And uh, yeah, thank you very much, everyone. And uh, be blessed. We're going to close off the service right there. Are we allowed to pray for people? Yeah, awesome. If you'd like to come up for prayer as well, please come up for prayer. But uh, other than that, be blessed. Enjoy your Sunday and uh, stick around and chat to someone for a little bit. And, uh, and then when you head off, go and meet up with someone, have a coffee or just enjoy the rest of your day. Have a power nap. God bless everybody. Bye.